Section 102 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The World's Story, Volume 13, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 102, The Romance of the Reindeer, 1905. By Mary Gay Humphreys. Something was known of the Alaskan coast in the 16th century, and during the 18th it was visited by explorers of Russian, English, and other nationalities. Russian colonies developed the fur trade, but as furs decreased, the country was looked upon as of small value, and when the United States in 1867 bought Russian America, as it was then called, and paid $7,200,000, it was regarded by many as an exceedingly foolish purchase. The Russians knew that both gold and copper existed in the land, but they made no attempt to develop the minerals, and even after the country came into the hands of the United States, there was for many years only a very moderate amount of mining done. In 1896, gold was found in the Canadian Klondike, and soon after in several different parts of Alaska, and in a few months the lonely northern country was full of eager miners. In 1898, there were more than 40,000 persons in the Klondike region alone, and in a single year, the gold mines of this, quote, worthless land of ice and snow, end quote, yielded more than double its purchase price. In order that the agricultural possibilities of Alaska might be developed, and the vast mineral wealth made accessible, Congress, in 1914, at the recommendation of President Wilson, appropriated $40 million for the construction of a railroad into the interior. The Editor A mistress went to Castle Garden, when that was a port of entry, for a maid. She found a demure little Swede. Can you cook? The mistress asked. No, ma'am. Can you sweep and make beds? No, ma'am. What, then, can you do? She asked in desperation. I can milk reindeer, ma'am. In that day, to come to this country to milk reindeer was like going to Tahiti to cut ice. Now you can cut ice in Tahiti, and there are thousands of reindeer in this country waiting to be milked, and prepared to furnish butter and cheese, and perform duties which they alone can perform. The civilization of Alaska by reindeer is one of the prettiest tales ever told of imagination justified by experience. One of the most convincing stories of the glance of the prophetic eye fully and speedily realized. It is also the story of discouragement, ridicule, persistence against overwhelming odds, and, what is more difficult, of the combat with skepticism, against which only the most enlivening faith, undaunted hope, and unconquerable energy can make way. Until gold was found in Alaska, it was the neglected stepchild of the country. Except to the missionary and the seal-hunters of the coast, the inhabitants of the Arctic Circle had not even a place in the census. The missionary is a curious person. He sees things through the eye of faith, as others see through knowledge. To this trait is due, as so many other vital but unrecognized acts are due, that machinery of the new civilization in Alaska, now so successfully underway. Of this the reindeer is the motive power. It was the missionary that supplied it. In 1890, Dr. Sheldon Jackson, making his inspecting tour among the Alaskan missions, became aware of an impending dangerous situation. The greed of the white man was devastating both land and sea. The whalers had driven the whales to other seas. 
the walrus was nearly exterminated by steam and rapid firing guns. The hunted seals no longer played about the coast line. To find them, the native had to go far out to sea. This meant that the inhabitants of northern Alaska were being deprived of their food, their clothing, light, implements, and their industries. Famine was depopulating them, and it was inevitable that the government would soon have thousands of helpless persons dependent on its bounty for food. Across the thirty miles of water we know as Bering Straits was Siberia, with a people comfortably prosperous and living under almost the same natural conditions. The contrast was too striking not to excite attention and inquiry. To Dr. Jackson the answer seemed to lie in the possession of the Siberians of the domestic reindeer. To the Siberian the reindeer was food, clothing, beast of burden, and article of commerce. The reindeer is prolific. It costs nothing for its keep. Under the vast snowfields of the frozen north lies the reindeer moss on which it feeds. Why, then, should the reindeer not be to the Alaskan what it is to his neighbor across Bering Straits? The proposition was so convincing that Dr. Jackson hastened to Washington to lay it before Congress and ask for a small appropriation to buy a few Siberian reindeer for the present emergency, and in the belief that they would secure Alaska against future catastrophes. To Congress this was only one of those rainbow schemes for which it is so often called upon to provide. Senator Teller, indeed, urged the appropriation, but his voice was lost in this handsome opportunity for oratorical satire and senatorial puns. Dr. Jackson did not get his appropriation, but a sufficient number of outside people were interested in the project to subscribe $2,000 as a venture, and the government did allow the revenue cutter Tetis to take Dr. Jackson to Siberia to make his purchases. But the Siberians did not want to sell. The Tetis sailed 1,500 miles before an owner could be found willing to part with his deer. Money he refused. What were bits of metal to him? At last he consented to barter for American goods. Thus, 16 deer only were secured. This was in 1891, a beginning so insignificant that it attracted no attention. Meanwhile, Senator Teller continued to press the matter on the Senate, and at last senatorial courtesy prevailed. Quote, Teller has this at heart. He only asks $6,000. It is a small sum. Let him have it. End quote. So the senators argued, and the first appropriation was made in 1894. In 1897, this was increased to $12,000. In 1900, it was changed to $25,000 and has since continued at this figure. In all, the government has given $183,000 for the propagation and purchase of reindeer for Alaska, with the following results. Today, there are 8,000 reindeer in Arctic and subarctic Alaska. Of these, the government owns 4,000 and the natives own 4,000. Any one of these is worth for the butcher alone $50. This is to say that, for food merely, the government and the native each have $200,000 in reindeer out of the original investment of $183,000. It would be interesting to know how many of the investments of the government pay as well. Satisfactory as the reindeer have been from a financial point of view, this is the least important result. The reindeer is so prolific that this modest beginnings soon entailed a system of distribution which has since been successfully followed. At first, Siberian herders were brought over to care for the herd. 
To these Eskimos were apprenticed in order to learn the care of the deer, to train and break them to harness. They served five years, receiving food and clothes from the government. They were also to have the loan of two female deer a year, and to regard these and their fawns as the nucleus of a future herd. After five years, if the apprentice was satisfactory, he was to receive a loan of enough deer to bring the number up to fifty. As a herder, he was now obliged to supply himself and family, and could take apprentices himself. For twenty years the government exercises supervision over these herders. If a herder should drink, or not take proper care of his herd, he can be dispossessed, and his herd loaned to another person. On his part, he agrees not to sell any female deer to any purchaser except the government. Deer were also loaned to the mission station, with the same provisions as to the apprentices and sale, they agreeing to return to the government when called upon the original number of deer loaned. One instance alone illustrates the value of these loans to the missions. In 1894, 100 deer were loaned to the Congregational Mission at Cape Prince of Wales. Since then, the mission has repaid the loan and now owns 1,000 head of deer. Such ownership means to the mission a permanence it could not otherwise have, since the natives, not being required to go afar for food, escape the demoralization of the mining camps. It also affords an opportunity of encouraging and rewarding worthy native families and promoting their material interests. It affords, moreover, a source of revenue in selling male deer to the miners for food and for transportation. A sledge deer is valued at $150 and is superseding dogs for this purpose. A couple of deer in harness will haul 750 pounds and find their own food in the reindeer moss beneath the snow. As food, the deer afford a constant supply of fresh meat, which means much to people condemned to live on canned goods the greater part of the year. Of the sixty owners of herds, two-thirds are Eskimos, who have secured their deer through apprenticeship, and have been trusted to become owners. Two are women, and one of these, with the exception of the mission at Cape Prince of Wales, is the foremost of what will yet come to be the reindeer aristocracy of Alaska, a class corresponding to the great cattle ranchers of the plains. Mary Antisarluk, now Andriuk, owns 358 deer and fawns. A woman who can neither read nor write, she speaks seven languages, and has been of great service to the government as interpreter. If to her natural abilities as a linguist, woman of affairs, and executive ability, she has had the advantages of education, and been placed outside of the Arctic regions, she would have been, quote, one of the women of our times, end quote. As it is, she is the, quote, unquote, reindeer queen of Alaska. This is what the reindeer has done in a few years for the material prosperity of the natives of Alaska. It is but the beginning of the future of the reindeer over a pasturage which will easily accommodate ten million head, a pasturage of perpetual snow over which no other animal can graze. The reindeer is a timid animal. A sudden movement will put him to flight. Being timid, he is gregarious, and a herder can easily care for one thousand heads. He is so gentle that, being domesticated, he will eat out of hand and follow like a dog. He is so speedy that Paul de Chailloux tells of travelling 150 miles in a day in a reindeer sledge. A pair can hold 750 pounds and can make 35 miles a day through the unbroken snow, finding their own food, 
and this for weeks at a time. The colder it is, the better they thrive. It is the reindeer that has transformed the postal facilities of Alaska. There are now semi-monthly mails to the Yukon and Nome during the winter, where before there were none. The longest route is that to Point Barrow, the most northern post office on the globe. Here are a whaling station and a mission that formerly received but one mail a year, and that sometimes failed. Now reindeer carry a winter mail over 1,300 miles without road or trail. The thermometer from 20 to 60 degrees below zero to that faraway post on the Arctic Ocean. There have been acts of beneficence accomplished through prolonged peril that deserve a place among the records of heroic deeds, which only the presence of the reindeer have made possible. In the autumn of 1897, eight whalers and 275 men were caught in the ice near Point Barrow, with only three months' provision. It would be at least a year before the ice released them, and starvation awaited them. No vessel with food could get within 2,000 miles of them, nor was there any method of transporting food over land. But there were herds of deer at Cape Nome. Responding to a call for volunteers, Lieutenants Jervis and Berthold and Sergeant Cole of the Navy made their way by dog sleds to Cape Nome to the Congregational Mission. Here they secured 500 deer, and aided by W. T. Lopp, the missionary in charge, and Eskimo herders, made their way over the unbeaten snow 750 miles in an Arctic winter, arriving at Point Barrow, after a journey of three months, just in time to save the starving men. Of the reindeer, 246 were used for food, and the remainder kept to form the nucleus of a herd at Point Barrow, to provide against future emergencies. Five years before this, rescue could not possibly have been effected, and in this case it was due entirely to the prophetic eye which saw what reindeer might be to the frozen north. In 1900, the soldiers employed in building the government telegraph on the Yukon were imprisoned by the winter storms. The rations were failing, and the mules had given out when word reached a mission station. Dr. Gambrill and an assistant started immediately with deer, and the troops with their camp equipage were brought out in safety. Thereafter, the deer were kept with them, meanwhile hauling telegraph poles until the work was done. The discovery of gold and the influx of miners has given a new impetus to the reindeer industry. The miner must be fed, and he must be carried long distances prospecting. A dog team required to go a long distance can carry only its own supplies. With a reindeer team, the miner can haul his own outfits and supplies, and the reindeer feeds himself. The mining interest alone, which in the beginning was not a factor to be considered, has opened an immense field to the reindeer industry, and helped to ensure a livelihood for the Alaskan natives, who bade fair so short a time to be a national charge. The increase of the deer, and the ease with which the fawns are cared for, the herds doubling every three years, warrant the conservative estimate that in three decades there will be ten million reindeer in Alaska. There are also those who believe that within that time reindeer hams and tongs will be shipped to the United States, helping to feed our population. End of section 102